Hi everyone, I'm Ben Tapper, and this is Invisible Truths. This is a podcast for anyone who carries burdens that feel too heavy to bear, questions too vulnerable to openly discuss, or pain that you're certain no one else will understand. Even more than that, though, this is a space to acknowledge and explore the invisible truths within each of us. If you're still interested, let's get started. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of the Invisible Truths podcast. I'm glad you're here. With me this week, I have an old friend and a wonderful person, Anna Graham. Anna, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. Anna is a friend uh, that actually Brooke and I both know from our days at Manchester College, now Manchester University, greatest school in North Manchester, Indiana. Um, and Anna is, among many other things, a doula, uh, which is one of the reasons I asked her on this podcast, because I think that work is amazing. And Anna is also actually the doula for Brooke and I in our first pregnancy. And so just another layer of connection there. Uh, and is there anything that you want to add about yourself? Um, yeah. So I also, beyond being a doula, a birth doula particularly, not a postpartum doula, I also am a birth assistant for a home birth midwife. Um, so I've been doing that for about a year. So that gives me quite a bit of experience, um, or it's given me quite a bit of experience over the past year attending birth. I was actually at a birth earlier today. Um, so that helps me with my experience as I'm a new doula, um, getting to experience the birthing world um, from two different perspectives. One as a doula, as a labor coach, um, and then the other as a birth assistant, which is more on the medical side. Mm. Excellent, excellent. Um, and can you explain for folks that may not be familiar what a doula is? What does that actually entail? How do you walk with couples um, or individuals through their pregnancy? Yeah, so there are two different types of doulas or main types of doulas. You have a birth doula, which is what I am, and then there's a postpartum doula, um, which works with birthing individuals and their partners post their labor and delivery. Um, but as a birth doula, what I do, the, the, the best way or the easiest way to describe it is as a labor coach. Um, so that can look like a lot of different roles. Um, I do um, pain management techniques. I help with information, so gathering, childbirth education. Um, one of the big roles that I take on, particularly in hospital births, would be an advocate. Um, so I would work with the birth person and their partner um, and whatever their birth plan is and then help to implement that while the hospital. Um, obviously, while you're in labor, you um, are not as coherent as, as one would kind of hope for. And so kind of helping to be that um, advocate for the birth person. I don't speak for them. I will just remind hospital individuals what their birth plan was and help gear them or, or guide them in that direction. Um, then just as an emotional support system for the birthing person and for their partner. Um, so I do a lot of work with dads or whoever is the partner with um, wh whoever is birthing, helping them um, be educated on what is needed for that birthing person, giving them suggestions on different types of techniques um, to help with pain management. Um, and then just being a hand to hold is like one of the main things that I do during birth is hold hands, rub shoulders, um, and just give encouragement. Uh, now, to the best of my knowledge, when I knew you were at Manchester, this is not what you were going to school for. So uh, how did you get from kind of your undergraduate degree to the realization that this work was calling to you. The other part of the question is, 
this work feels somewhat similar or as if it would utilize some of the same skill sets as chaplaincy. Um, and so that's why I use the phrase calling to you. It's not something that you do, I don't think, just for practical monetary reasons. It's got to be birthed out of a, an internal sense of purpose and conviction. Uh, at least that's what I'm assuming. And so how did you reach that, that moment for yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've actually been interested in birth work for a really long time. When I was in high school, um, I went and did a natural birth planning course with my sisters. So my older sisters who were getting married at the time, um, just as a way to like naturally chart your cycle. And I remember like learning in that class, sitting there and thinking, like I was 18 years old, and just being like, how do, how is this the first time I'm hearing about a lot of this information about myself as a woman? Um, and at that point was when I decided like, I think I wanna be a midwife. Um, at the time in Indiana, it, to, in order to be a midwife, you had to attend nursing school. So I sat down with my brother's wife and asked, she was a nurse, and was like, what does nursing look like? And she made <laughs> two bullet points in, and I was like, that's not for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I didn't pursue being a midwife at the time, so I decided instead to go the social work route, which is what my, my bachelor's degree is in social work. Um, so fresh on my, my senior internship, I worked with teen moms. I knew, I moved to Chicago. I knew that that's the demographic that I wanted to work with. I wanted to do education around women's bodies, um, particularly women of color um, or like just low income women that didn't, or even like as myself, I wasn't raised low income, but I still didn't have this information. And that just felt so shocking to me that this education, there's this education piece is so lacking in our culture about women and their bodies. Um, so I did the social work route. I worked with teen moms while in Chicago. I did my internship there and then um, took a little bit of a detour and then came back and worked um, back at New Moms, which is in Chicago, um, for about a year or so. When I moved back to Fort Wayne, I got involved with a couple of women who were going through a home birth and they were talking about the midwife they were working with. And so I just... I all of a sudden was like, oh, I forgot that I was really interested in being a midwife. So I kind of looked up Indiana's credentials, which in the meantime had changed in 2013. The law in Indiana changed um, and shifted to allowing nurse practitioner midwives as well as direct entry midwives. So a direct entry midwife does not have to have a nursing degree and they don't get a master's in midwifery. It's more of an apprenticeship program, which was way more interesting to me. So I started doing research about the different programs, um, what the steps would be to do that. I was 30 or 28 years old when this was happening. I don't have any children on my own. So then I had this thought like, maybe I don't actually like birth. I've, the only birth I've experienced was my own. <laughs> maybe I should get an experience, some experience with birth before I completely shift my career path. Good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the time, my cousin, who was like really close to me in age and I grew up with, she was pregnant. And so I approached her, I was like, can I come to your birth just as a witness and to observe? And she was like, absolutely. She called me in at like one in the morning. And I remember walking into her house and I, she was making this noise upstairs in the bathroom, this birthing, she was having a home birth. So obviously we weren't at the hospital. She was at her house. She was making this noise, this moaning noise. And I walked in and was like, this is what I was made to do. Like I just knew immediately that that, like this was where I wanted to be. And so through her laboring process, she labored for about 15 hours. And I watched the midwife and I watched the birth assistant and I realized that the role that I really loved was that of just emotional and physical support. So the medical side I'm really interested in, and obviously then I pursued that as a birth assistant as well. Um, but 
that support, that a connection with her. And obviously she was someone I knew well, so we connected easily, but I just, I knew right away that, that the doula role was really what I was interested in. Um, so about three months after that, I did my donor certification or donor training um, up in Michigan. And then over the past year, I've been in the process of becoming certified. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the path that I took. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's, um, it's interesting that from the moment you had a sense that you wanted to do birth work to that moment where you walked into your sister's house and heard that moaning noise and felt the deeper conviction, there were quite a few years there. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'm just struck by the fact that you held on to this idea, this, I'll name it as a dream, you didn't use those words, this, this hope, this seed of something uh, that would take several years to come to fruition. Uh, and I wonder, the moment that you felt convicted that that was what you were meant to do, what did that feel like in your body? What sensations were you experiencing that told you that this is what those feelings meant as opposed to, oh, this is nausea or I've got to pee or, like, you know, what were the indicators that you knew, no, this is deep conviction? Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, home birth is just such a different experience because you're in a familiar place. Like since this was my cousin, obviously I'd been to her house before. So like, there's just this sense of peace immediately walking in. It was the middle of the night. So, and because it was a house and not a hospital, it was very dark. And it just, I felt this peace immediately. And just like this longing maybe in my chest um, to be like up there as soon as possible. And, you know, birth is a little bit hard to navigate because there's often nudity. There's often like a lot of vulnerability in birth. And so learning to navigate that space and like not just busting in on someone because I have this conviction or I have this desire to be close. Like I kind of just like eased my way upstairs and peeked my head. She was in the bathroom at the time, peeked my head in the bathroom and then just like kind of melted in. And again, since she's my cousin and someone I grew up with, like we are very close anyways. So that closeness was immediately there, but through other births I've been to, I went to my 23rd birth this morning. Um, and it's, it's that way every single time where I just, like my heart just feels like it melts, like it op completely opens up. And I just like, have this smile on my face the entire birthing experience, even though I'm not the one that's birthing. Just anytime the mom looks up at me, like I just am so, so grateful to be a part of it. And I could feel that in my chest. Then this first birth experience, the moment that I realized, like I, I walked in the door, I was like, this is where I want to be. Birth is it. Like, I love this. But the moment I realized I wanted to be a doula, uh, my cousin was in the bath. She was not planning a water birth, but she was just in the bath just for some relief from gravity and all that kind of stuff. She was laying there and I just started doing this ujjayi breath, which is like an ocean breathing. It's a yoga term. So it's really deep breathing and it just naturally came to me to start doing this. And later on, um, after she birthed her baby and she was, we were kind of doing our recap of, of the birth, she said that that breath that I was making, she asked me, she's like, why were you doing that? I was like, I don't know. I just I felt like I should do it. She said, that moment when you started breathing that way was the first moment I knew that I could do this. She's like, I think that you were made for this career. And that just solidified that this is exactly what, what, I, was, what I was called to do, what, what has always been my calling and how you know, I've taken a detour. But the skills that I learned in social work, being a doula is a lot like being a case manager. Like you, you wear so many hats. So I got all these skills kind of in a roundabout way, but you know, I think that we're always, will come back to like where our passion is and where our heart lies. Like we'll find our way back there. That obviously was the case for me. 
and luckily I'm only 30 years old. So now I still have like, you know, 40 plus years of birth work ahead of me. That's one of the things I was thinking is that you are so young and you know, it, it seems evident to me that rather than this being um, the purpose that it could very well be a purpose or a point on a much longer road. And so have you dreamt about other places this road may stop as you're continuing on this journey? Yeah, so when I think about maybe like my 10 year or 15 year plan, which I don't really have a plan, but if I were to think about what I, what I want as a career, like I want to do birth work, that seems very clear that I will, won't stray very far from that. But I still do have this passion for women of color and women of like low economic status to have education. So what I would love to do is to be, I don't know if I want to start a nonprofit or if I just, if just having a grant, something along those lines would be, would be sufficient to start. Cause doula services are not necessarily cheap and a lot of insurances don't cover them. You can use your NHSA for them, but women of, of low income often can't choose to have a doula when they, in some ways, maybe need one more so than anyone else would. Um, especially, like, particularly single moms who don't have a support system, having a doula would be an incredible resource for them. Um, women who don't have the education around, or don't have the opportunity to take a childbirth education course, so to know what their preferences are, to know the evidence around um, medical interventions, those are the people that I, like, I so desperately want to help. However, I also have to have an income um, in order to, to, to live my life. I'm a single adult, so I don't have dual income to help um, pay for some of my expenses. So it's been a really rough road the past, just over the past year. So my goal, though, would be for this, this career to take me into some of the zip codes, particularly in Fort Wayne, that have um, really high infant mortality rates, um, that have really high mother mortality rates or maternal mortality rates. So I would love to, to, to combine this, my background in social work with this, this passion for birth and have those kind of converge together to create some type of resource for um, the women of, of Fort Wayne, which is where I was born and raised. That sounds like a, a beautiful vision. Um, identity is the word that's coming to my mind right now. There's a conversation that you and I had our senior years at Manchester that it's etched into my mind. We were talking about racial identity. We are both um, biracial, black and white. And um, I don't remember what was happening on campus or in the culture at the time, but for some reason we were both thinking pretty critically about this issue. And I had come to a point where I was identifying exclusively as black and you were identifying as biracial. And both of those were very intentional choices for us. And so we were talking about why we had each made those choices. I think we were standing like outside somewhere. Um, and so as I've continued to reflect upon my own racial identity and how my understanding has um, ebbed and flowed these seven or eight years since that conversation, I always come back to that, that moment that we had. Um, and so as I hear you talking about being a doula, I've heard you reference wanting to help women of color. I've heard you reference your experience as a female and that intersection with this work. And so I'm wondering how your sense of racial identity or cultural identity connects with this longing uh, for the work. In the work that I've done so far, just like, again, it's only been a little over a year that I've been doing birth work. Um, home birth work particularly, which is the midwife that I work for, is predominantly 
Caucasian people are having home birth. Um, I don't have the statistics in front of me of what they actually are for our nation or for, for Fort Wayne or for Indiana either, any, either way. But from my experience, I have only witnessed white people having home births. Um, and being a huge advocate for home birth, I want that to be spread not only to different races, but different economic statuses, um, just in general, like, I'm an evangelist, that's my spiritual gift, so I want to tell people about really awesome things that I've experienced. Do, birth doulas, home birth, limited medical intervention, like, those are things that I feel really passionate about, and I want to share across all demographics. Now, there's, in Indiana and in the United States in general, um, the infant and, and maternal mortality rate of women of color is significantly higher than, than Caucasian women. And that does not, like that, that rate is not dependent on economic status, is not dependent on education. Like a woman with a master's degree is, of color is still more likely for her or her infant to pass away during the laboring process than a white woman with a high school diploma or with no diploma. So the racial disparity is like, in, it is insane. And I feel really passionate about that. I don't know that that, that particularly is linked to me being a woman of color. Um, I was raised pretty culturally white. Um, my mother is, is, is white and I was raised around her family in a white neighborhood in a pretty diverse school, but culturally I am white. Obviously though, I look like I'm black. So people interact with me as if I am a black woman. So whether I consciously experience racism, I know that it's there. I know that it affects me. And, and, and through the studies that they are finding that women of color have a higher mortality for infant and maternal rate, the only explanation for it that they can find is systemic racism over the course of their lifetime. There's nothing else that can be attributed to this higher rate. So even if I'm not like, consciously, con continuously experiencing racism, I know that I'm at a higher risk going into a pregnancy and delivery. Um, and that, to me, absolutely needs to be addressed. Um, and whether that's with resources of, of, of education, um, of advocacy, of birth doulas, whatever it is that needs to shift in our culture for women of color, um, I want to be a part of that. And I, I think that I would have the same conviction, and that's so hard to tell, whether I was black or white or mixed. <laughs> that is that third option in there. <laughs> <laughs> Always got to edit in the plug for us mixed people. <laughs> uh, as a, a person of color, a man of color, um, you being a woman of color puts me at even more ease in this process because I know there are things that I'm not going to have to explain or watch out for um, because you're going to intuitively get now that's not always the case there are some people of color that are just as oblivious as uh anyone else but um i know that isn't true for you and so so knowing that there's a, a level of understanding that's already there as a baseline um just just puts me as a father at ease welcoming you into the process even more and you named i want to shift a little bit into spirituality you named evangelism as your spiritual gift and one of the things that i think is most evident when interacting with you is um, the strength of your presence. You, you have a, a confidence and an ease that is extraordinarily soothing 
to be around. You don't even have to say a word. It just is there. And I imagine that the 23 uh, families you've worked with have experienced that. And it's one of the, your, your greatest gifts uh, doing this birth work. Um, and so I'm wondering, A, if there are other gifts that you are aware of that you bring into this work that aid you, and B, how your, your own personal sense of spirituality plays into this calling of birth work for you. Yeah, so obviously I've mentioned already that evangelist is my spiritual gift, um, or one of my spiritual gifts. Just in the past year, though, um, I'm an incredibly affectionate person. Touch has always been really important to me. I love to cuddle, which is probably why I like babies so much, because they're just so cuddly. Um, But about nine months ago, I'm in this uh, kind of like discipleship group. We call it kind of like an encountering the spirit group um, that we meet every week, and one of the nights back at last fall, I had this like this calling um, to stand up and go and put my hands on one of the, the women who was sharing something. She was, I, she didn't seem like she was upset at the time. Um, I remember like I walked over and I just stuck my foot out and put it on top of her foot as like a tester. <laughs> and like, as soon as I did that, like just answering the call, then that like released this, this tension inside me. And then I was able to just go and and like hold her, I just like held her head and just like pet her, pet her hair. Um, and later on, she was, she's told me multiple times that that moment was really significant to her. In that moment, what I heard internally from God was that like, I've put something magical in your hands that my magical, like, you know, the spirit, the spirit of God is within me and particularly through touch. Um, so that's been really important through my work as a doula, just because soothing touch and comfort measures are, are a big part of my job. Um, and it, it comes very natural to me to reach out and to touch people, um, particularly people who I can tell are in some type of distress, whether that's emotional or physical distress, um, whether that's evident on their face or their body language or not. It's, it's happened multiple times where I've felt internally, like touch that person, comfort them, Um, put your hands on them um, and later they've shared with me that that was really significant for them Um, so that being touch being another spiritual gift of mine that has been difficult to navigate because our culture is not an incredibly touchy culture Um, and I'm lucky that in birth work like I said the vulnerability is already on a thousand because people are naked and like it's an extremely vulnerable space so touch is often more accepted in that type of space Um, but I feel really grateful to have one answered that call and for two for, to watch it unfold um, and be in a career that it is an easier um, space to navigate and be able to, to incorporate that, that gift. Yeah. And that, that's a powerful gift. And it sounds like you are learning to trust your intuition a little bit more. You strike me as someone that has a fairly strong intuition, at least from my perspective. And so um, is that, is it difficult for you to, to trust that or to lean into that voice that you hear? Yeah, I mean, it is definitely difficult. I Even just today, coming off of a birth, um, with the birthing person, super easy because, you know, she's needs comforted. She just had a baby or, or like we're doing a medical exam afterwards or something along those lines where there is pain. And so comfort is a natural response to that. Um, but I often feel the need or not the need, the desire or the prompting to touch like the midwife or the, the, I wasn't the doula in this situation. I was a birth assistant. So there was a doula there who, I mean, birth can be a traumatic experience for everyone involved um, or just be a hard experience. It doesn't necessarily have to be trauma. 
um, but we all, I think, need comforted way more than we than we get in our culture. So I was standing there as um, the midwife is talking to the birthing person, and I and I had this thought, like, or I had this prompting to like put my hand on her shoulder. But if I'm being like, I didn't, I didn't do it. I I was afraid. So, so yeah, it is still difficult to push into, to step into. Um, there is fear around it. I think as I unfold and get to know people better, and they they like you said. There's a, there's a, like we all have this, have a spirit that people can discern um, as you learn to trust that discernment, um, that people around me, I, I need to learn to trust that they can discern my spirit. Because that, I think that is where the fear comes in, that they will, that they won't be able to tell that I am comfort, or I'm touching them in comfort. Um, but I have to learn to trust their discernment as I learn even to trust my own. That, that spoke to me right there. That's something that I struggle with too. Um, I'm always, I think it might be a little bit different being a, a hetero male versus a, um, a female. You know, there are layers of threat that I can potentially pose that you may not um, pose for someone. So it's a little different, but I think I, I wrestle with the same thing. Um, having said that, I wonder what is the, so, so kind of playing this out, if they, misinterpret your intentions then what? what what are you afraid they didn't interpret your intentions as and then what would what would happen as a result i think the fear is is that yes as a female and touching another female there's less threat so that i think is not the fear that they would feel threatened my fear is that there's some type of trigger there are some people like i have a sibling who we are 16 months apart and she doesn't like to be touched and i'm her sister like that extends to me as well, not just to strangers. So that is what I think what the fear is, is that there, someone will have a trigger around physical touch that I would unknowingly be stepping into. I encounter that in my work as a chaplain as well. Um, and what I've started to do half the time, half the time if I'm being honest, I just go for it assuming that they're gonna know my spirit and that we've built enough rapport that it's okay. Um, but I think on my better days, I have just started asking first. And usually the answer is yes. But uh, there was at least one time where I, there was a hesitation before they started to answer. And I just took that and I'm like, no worries. You don't have to. Like, it's cool. Just know that you're cared for and loved. And so is that something you've started to incorporate just like a, a verbal or other types of, of consent to offer to people? Yeah. In our, in our training for doulas, that's something that we, we regularly talk about particularly around the birthing person because they're often in what they, we call labor land, um, which is like a semi-conscious state mm -hmm. as you go through transition, um, as transition into pushing. Um, so they often have their eyes closed and may not be fully conscious of their surroundings. So we usually will say like, either you'll feel my touch or I'm going to place my hand on your back, mostly not to startle them <laughs> um, or to like kind of jerk them out of this like cloudy haze that, that a lot of women experience during labor. So I've, I've tried to start to incorporate that um, just in my regular speaking um, with people, non-laboring people, but it is a hard thing to remember to do every time. Um, it feels a little, choppy i guess like socially to do it um so yeah probably not near as much as i should yeah it's just it's a really hard thing to navigate <laughs> it is it is um people will offer you grace too like even if 
someone is triggered, like that is not the end of the world. There's grace and forgiveness and you can still continue to do the work and recover from that. Yes, absolutely. That's a really good point. And thing that I need to constantly remind myself that there is always grace for everything. And that I need like that even can be a learning experience for both people to to offer that that space to grow and, and on both ends. Absolutely. And I say that because I am having to remind myself of that daily. Like there are several things that I've been working on the last four or five months and giving myself grace is right at the top of the list of one of the things that I am still not great at better than I was a few months ago, but it's still a pretty significant growing edge for me because personally, I just expect perfection from myself. I'm going to take us on a tangential track that I was not expecting, but feels relevant. I've been unpacking this with my counselor and uh, my spiritual director. And one of the things I've realized is that part of the reason I expect such perfection for myself is because I carry with me a sense of um, unworthiness that I think is birthed at least in part from my relationship with my abusive stepfather. Um, And so despite the great connections I have with people, despite the things I've accomplished um, and, and how much people express a fondness for me, that's still this thing that lingers within me that creeps up from time to time and um, can cause me to be harder on myself than I need to be, can, can make it difficult for me to, to receive grace for myself and can impede the way I interact with others. Um, and so that's just something that I'm aware of that I'm trying to, to just name and hold it, um, trusting that the spirit will, will bring healing as I allow myself to be aware of it. And so I share that asking if there are, are, are things within you that are kind of some of those root level cracks, I guess, within your foundation that, that you sense you're going to need to continue to lead into to, to kind of walk more deeply into your purpose and your calling and into the awesome power of who you are, because you have a lot of power within you. Yeah. Um, some of the, I went on a, a spiritual journey for my 30th birthday out in Colorado went on this dream retreat. And one of the main things that we worked through or the, that she revealed is, is, or she helped to, the therapist that I worked with helped to reveal within me is um, my lack of value for myself and what I have to offer. And I think that that was very evident in, in, in the example I gave earlier about today where like I wanted to reach out and offer comfort and love to someone and I decided not to. That's stemming from this belief that I don't have value and that people don't actually want what I have to offer. Um, so with, with this birth work and this career path that I've chosen, particularly the doula side of it, where I'm self-employed and I have to get clients on my own and, and basically like not sell myself, but advocate for what my services are and what the value is, has been a difficult journey, um, stemming from this, this deep seated belief that I don't even feel like I have value as an individual. Um, it's easier when I have had training, like, you know, I've had training as a doula and I have these skills and then I've had this experience as a birth assistant and all these kind of things. So I can package that and say like, see, this is why I have value. But on the personal side, like what, what proof do I have that I have value? Um, so it's been a little bit hard to let those two paths kind of run side by side um, as I'm working through learning and, and believing internally what my personal value is. Um, and then being able to continue to advocate for myself as self-employed and, and to advertise and, and to believe my value as a doula as well. Um, Cause a doula is 
a, a lot of people would see it. I don't see it this way, but a lot of people and insurance companies see it as a supplemental service. Um, not something that's, that's necessary or, or required in order for someone to have a successful birth. I think that there are lots of birthing people who have very successful births without a doula. Um, but if they have the resources and they have the, the space, <laughs> you know, um, to have an extra person who is only bringing positive and loving vibes to your birth experience, I think that this is something that everybody should have access to. So learning like, okay, like I see the value in this. How can I translate that into like seeing the value in who I am, even with, uh, without being a doula, just as who, who I am as an anagram, <laughs> where is my value? Um, so it's been really hard, but at the same time, incredibly transformational to learn to advocate and to believe in who I am in the career side and watch that translate into my personal side. Yeah. So if we are going to use insurance companies as the defining uh, metric for value, like <laughs> we're just, like, we're screwed. Right. <laughs> so it's a really, really scary path to go down, but unfortunately in our medical system. <laughs> right. <where we're> <laughs> um, so, so then have you started to see some transformation then and some shifts uh, in, in that thinking and in, in that sense of your own value? Yeah, I mean, they've been very slow coming. Um, this has been, a, I mean, it's a, been a lifelong journey, but it's been a conscious journey only for about three or four months. Mm. Um, so I see definite shifts and that has like, been very hopeful or, or provided a lot of hope. Um, I am an incredibly impatient person though. <laughs> so it's not been as quickly, or the, the shift hasn't happened as far reaching and, and as quickly as I, hope for but i think that in itself is is another lesson and journey that that i absolutely need to to go down um, learning to trust the process um, and experience the journey and to just be where i'm at um, i think that like we one of the big takeaways that i've had over the past year with watching birth work is when i think about like i see i saw a brand new life today and this little girl came into the world and she, everything that she's experiencing for the first, is for the first time. She's never experienced gravity, light, like the touch of cloth on her skin, the sound of music. I mean, they, um, infants can hear some things in utero and experience shadows and stuff, but like the way that we experience life, like everything is the first time. And that has translated so well into my current life that like this day, what I'm experiencing is the first time I've experienced it. So why am I so hard on myself? Like it comes back to this idea of grace. Like we are humaning for the first time, all of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like we just need to be way more patient with ourselves. And that has been a huge, huge experience or a huge lesson for me to learn over this past year that like, it's okay that I'm not good at, at having value right now because this is the first time I've had to do this in this time in my life. Um, so I'm just going to human for the first time right now in this situation and it's okay. Yes. I, I 1000% affirm that. Um, and you know, one of the other things I've been learning is to trust myself and to trust spirit, you know, like in any other realm, if I fall and skin my knee or I sprain my wrist, 
generally I trust that my body is going to heal the way it knows how and the time it knows how, right? But when it comes to my emotional or psychological healing, for some reason, <laughs> that trust stops and I think, oh no, I can make this speed up. No, no, no. <laughs> it will unfold the way it needs to unfold. And I need to trust that um, not only me, but the spirit that is within me will work this out the way it needs to be worked out and the time it needs to be worked out as long as I'm holding the intention. Like that's the important part. Yes, absolutely. Our intention is so instrumental to our growth. And honestly, like what I've also realized in this past year is that or growth comes from tension. And so if my life was just so easy and like sunshine and rainbows, where would my growth be coming from? So through these really tension, like tension ridden experiences over the past year, I've had so much growth because of that. And and in that way, I can only be grateful because how could it be any other way? Absolutely. Absolutely. Same, same boat here. Uh, you know, some of my, all of my greatest growth has come out of my deepest, most intense darkness. Um, you know, I, I wrote a couple blogs and I think I talked on the podcast a little bit a few months ago about realizing that I had clinical depression in like January or February. And um, how for a while, the instinct for me was to try to figure out how to beat it. Like, how do I overcome this? How do I escape this? And then I realized that the depression is within me for a reason. It's trying to communicate some truth or truths about myself that I have not wanted to face. And I cannot continue growing into who I'm meant to be and, and really into who I already am until I'm willing to acknowledge and listen to that depression to kind of trust that the darkness is here for a reason. And rather than running from it, I need to lean into it knowing that there will be light at some point. Um, but if I keep trying to escape the darkness, I'm not going to learn what I need to learn and grow in the ways that I need to grow. And that sucks <laughs> and it's uncomfortable. Um, but it has bore out um, true time and again for my own life. Absolutely. That's a really beautiful sentiment. Like we always have to just be where we are at because we can't be any other place. All the the life experience that we've had and the circumstances that have shaped our lives, like if we did them all over, we would still end up in this exact same place because you only know what you know in the moment. So just ex just be in the moment and be present in it, which feels impossible ninety percent of the time. But that's <laughs> you know, really since we are bound by linear time here on Earth, <laughs> really all the way the only option that we have. Mm, absolutely. So as we bring this to a close, I am wondering if people are interested in reaching out to you for doula services or other services, how can they find you? Yeah, there's lots of different avenues to find me. Um, I have a website. It's Anagram Doula. Um, anagram spelled A-N-N-A-G-R-A-H-A-M and then doula, D-O-U-L-A dot com. So that's my website. You can read a little bit about me. There's my services are outlined on there, my contract, um, some testimonials from previous doula clients are on there. So that's my website. Um, my email address is same thing, anagramdoula at gmail.com. I have a Facebook page as well as an Instagram page. Um, so there's lots of different ways in which you can contact me pretty available uh, these days. Um, I lost my phone the other day and wrote out like all the ways that people could still contact me. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome uh, and these all these links will be in the episode description of the podcast for those listening so you don't have to take furious notes now <laughs> they'll be in the episode description um, 
And, and finally, Anna, as I end each of these episodes, I like to leave the listeners with something tangible and practical, usually a practice or an intention they can set for the week. Um, and so as we've talked about either finding purpose or um, kind of embracing our darkness or just trusting the process of humaning for the first time, is there a small tidbit of advice and intention, a simple practice you'd offer to people to kind of hold throughout the week? Um, I think what's been so helpful for me in my birth work in, with, with working with infants as well as working with birthing um, like the mother is how powerful we are and holding on to that power. Like women through labor, like we, we praise them and we, we acknowledge how powerful they are the baby and the, like the, the path that they, they took out to the, to the world. And we see that power. And then slowly it seems like we let that go as, the, as delivery passes away. And now we're just into regular life. But I want to encourage everyone. And luckily I get to see labor on a regular basis. So I'm reminded of my power all the time, uh, particularly as a woman, but just even as a person, all of us were born, all of us experienced some type of, journey from utero to this world um, and that was I was a really powerful thing that we did that day our birthdays um, are we are in our most powerful but we carry that with us all the time I would encourage people to to remember that um, and to live out of that power Beautiful. Thank you so much for your vulnerability and for sharing your journey um, with us today. It's, I have appreciated it, and I'm sure those listening appreciate it as well. So thank you for being here. You're welcome, Ben. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to episode 15 of Invisible Truths. If you enjoyed my interview with Anna Graham, don't forget to leave a rating and subscribe to the podcast. That way you're notified when new episodes come out. Most importantly, though, I want to give all of you a chance that are interested to support Anna in her work as a doula. Doulas are critically important for a safe and effective birth experience. And I think it's awesome that Anna wants to expand her work and make it more accessible to women of color and lower income women. So I'm going to drop Anna's PayPal information in the episode description. Please take a moment and send her a little bit of support in the form of cash money so that she can offer her services to women that would not normally be able to access them. If all you've got is $1, that's perfect. If you've got five, 10, 20, even $100, it doesn't matter what you give. Just show Anna that you value the work that she's doing and you want to play your part and do your role in helping support her work and making sure that she can broaden the accessibility of her doula services to women that normally would not be able to afford them. Once again, thank you for listening to episode 15 of Invisible Truths. Until next week, I'm Ben Tapper.